what I believe is happening is people are looking at their life. They're saying, I want more. I want something different. I want something better. They're aspiring to more. So it's the motivation. It's not the great resignation. It's the great aspiration. You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, where we host in-depth interviews with business leaders, authors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with a singular focus around business growth. At the end of each podcast, we want you to walk away inspired, to think bigger, and to have actionable takeaways you can apply to improve your business. Each episode is like a masterclass on a key topic. So make sure to browse the episodes to find the topics that are most relevant to your biggest business challenges today. This podcast is brought to you by Web Profits, a digital growth consultancy that helps challenge your brands drive growth in a complex and fragmented digital landscape. You can find out more about Web Profits at webprofits.io. Now let's get into it. This is Alex Cleanthus, and today we're talking with Whitney Johnson. Uh, she's the CEO of Disruption Advisors, and she's one of the 10 leading business thinkers in the world, as named by Thinkers 50. She's an award-winning author. She's a world-class keynote speaker, and she's an executive coach and advisor to CEOs. Today, we'll be talking about the concepts in her latest book, Smart, Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. And just quickly before we get started, make sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. Let's get into it. Hey, Whitney, and welcome. Hi, Alex. It's nice to be here. And I'm, I'm realizing I need to do that too and invite people to hit the subscribe button. So mm. good for you because yeah. then people probably do what you tell them to do. Well, we hope that, right? But sometimes it's just a reminder. You know, some people just watch content and they may right. miss out on the awesome content that we produce in the right. future. Hint, hint, nudge, right. nudge. Anyway, look, let's get straight into it and let's talk about smart growth. And so where did you get the idea for smart growth? I had written two prior books in the series, um, Disrupt Yourself and Build an A-Team. And in both of those books, I had talked about something called the S-curve of learning. And the history behind that is many of you, many of your listeners will be familiar with the S-curve. It was popularized by the sociologist Everett Rogers back in the 50s and 60s. And, and we used it at the Disruptive Innovation Fund that I co-founded with Clayton Christensen to figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted at the base of the S, the growth is slow until a tipping point is reached or the knee of the curve and you go into hyper growth and then you reach saturation with a, a product or a service, et cetera. Well, the idea came for me is that in both disrupt yourself and build an A-team, I used the S curve, but it was always a supporting actor, a, a backup singer, if you will. But as I talked to people, whether I was coaching or doing workshops or speaking, they would continually come back to the S-curve and they would want to talk more about the S-curve. And I started to realize that disruption, which is something that I was talking about most of the time, was the mechanism by which we grow. But what people really wanted was this map of what growth looks like. And the S-curve, the, the aha that I had was that it wasn't just about a product. You could also use it to help us understand how we learn and how we grow. And that whenever you start something new, you're at the base of that S. And then you eventually, as you put the effort, you moved into the sweet spot of your growth. And we can talk more about this in a minute, but then you reach mastery and you've gotten very good at something and then you start all over again. And so the reason for this book was that people wanted to understand it. And I hadn't really done a deep dive on the idea. And so this is my attempt to do a very deep dive, make this the leading singer of here's the map, here's what growth looks like. It traces the emotional arc of growth. And once you know how you grow, then you can increase your capacity to grow. You should see what's feeling inside me right now. The feelings, I'm getting very excited about this, right? Because um, you know, what's interesting is that um, a lot of people um, will question themselves, right? Um, and we're going to be speaking about this a fair bit, but about like their passion on something or now they may start to feel a bit bored, right? And then there's like leaders who are thinking, you know, how do I support the team the most, right? And mm -hmm. there's been all these things that are kind of like around, you know, speaking to the team, supporting them, actually how they're managed, but there's not a lot that talk about the detail of the skill-based approach, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to get into this, but it seems that this book has been written at a pretty opportune time because since 2020, with all the changes happening in the world, some people call it the great resignation. You referenced it as the great aspiration, right? That's right. And I think, That's right. you know, so what seems to be happening is that 
you know, like, like it seems that since 2020, the work has come to the fore, right? So before there was company culture and there was all the things and we'd travel and, you know, like there'd be a place to go. And sometimes that place would balance maybe the passion of the job wasn't there and the fulfillment. And so I think this book seems to, to really, to touch on um, this part of it, right? So mm-hmm. could you just speak about the reason it's called the great Smart aspiration growth. and not the oh. great yeah, resignation? Yeah, because a- I just thought that was a really interesting perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so as you were saying, we're in this really unusual time and and I think that there's a, a huge opportunity for us because what psychologists have found is that any period of um, severe stress, like a pandemic, um, leads oftentimes to tremendous growth, and they call it post-traumatic growth. And so we have this this period where people were doing a lot of reflecting on what do I want in my life, in my career. Um, we were all on an S curve and we were pushed off the S curve that we were on onto a new one, whether we liked the old one or not, we were all on a new one. But what happened is that we started to build this muscle of, Oh, I just got disrupted, but I actually know how to disrupt myself. I, I realized that I'm pretty good at this. And as I've had to reconfigure my life because of circumstances, I've noticed that there are some things that I want more of and the other things that I want less of, and I want a better, more, more um, well-rounded life. And so as I look at what's happening in the world, and I understand that there is burnout and there have been some very difficult things happen. I also believe that in many instances, what people are doing when they're resigning from work, they're not giving up. We are not giving up. So to resign is like, oh, people are giving up. They think they can't do it anymore. What I believe is happening is people are looking at their life. They're saying, I want more. I want something different. I want something better. They're aspiring to more. So it's the motivation. It's not the great resignation. It's the great aspiration. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point because like it it puts the role uh, front and center, right? And so now it's like, well, am I just loving the the work that I'm doing, right? And I think, you know, this conversation is going to be um, pretty interesting because there's quite a lot of people who work from home now, right? And, you know, like Zoom is the standard and in between Zoom is the work. And then, you know, it's ensuring that there's something there that that they can go towards. But let's jump straight into the S-curve specifics, right? Because you talk about the six stages. Mm -hmm. Are you able to just quickly provide a quick overview um, in terms of the six stages of the S-curve? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So let me, I I know I kind of glossed over this earlier. So let me um, do a a little bit of a primer and then we'll go into the the six stages. So so whenever you... um, you asked me earlier why I wrote this book. Another reason I wrote this book is I'd made this, what some might argue was a vast intuitive leap of applying this, not just to products, but to, to individuals. And um, part of the purpose of this book was to look at the neuroscience, to look at the biology, to look at the psychology and make sure that the research backed up what I was, um, my, my hypothesis. And, and in fact it does. And so whenever you start something new, you start a new job, you start a new role, you start a new day, your brain has this hypothesis about what is it going to take for me to be successful here? What's it going to take for me to get to the top of the mountain? And so when you first start something, you're at the launch point of the curve. So that's the first phase. Your brain is making a lot of predictions, many of which are inaccurate. And so your dopamine drops. And so as your dopamine's dropping, you're also in this place where you're trying to figure out, you're trying to map the terrain that you're on, look at what the base of this mountain looks like. So your brain is literally making memories. It is therefore cognitively very taxing. So you're exhausted. And oh, by the way, you're doing this new thing. So your identity is like, well, who am I if I'm not who I was? So that's the launch point of the curve. Now, on the launch point of the curve, I talk about two different phases. There's the explorer phase, and then there's the collector phase. And the explorer phase is, hey, I landed on this curve. I didn't expect 
to be here, or I did expect to be here, but now I have to decide, do I want to stay here? And so you're exploring, you're asking yourself questions like, is this curve in sync with my identity? Is it hard, but not too hard? And just, do I want to do this? And you're exploring, and then you're going to make a decision. No, actually I don't. I'm going to go find another curve because I got pushed here. So I'm going to go do something new. But you might decide, yeah, I do want to stay here. And so now you go to the collector phase. And if you're thinking about products, this is like the product market fit. Yes, this is the product that I want. But the collector phase is, is there a market fit? Like, yeah, I want to be on this curve, but in fact, will it work? So I can decide, you know, I want to be a UFC fighter, right? I might want to do that. It might be in sync with the identity that I, I aspire to have. But the ecosystem is probably not working in my favor. There's probably not a great product market fit. So I'll collect the data, the quantitative data, the qualitative data, and probably decide, no, that's not going to work. Or yeah, let's do this. So that's the launch point. The emotional part of this curve is that you're going to feel thrilled. You're going to feel terrified. You're going to feel overwhelmed, discouraged, impatient. So again, I talked about the emotional arc of growth. All of those things are happening at the launch point of the curve. And so um, so that helps you when you do something new and you're having all those feelings to say, well, this doesn't mean that I can't be good at it. It just means that I'm doing something new. All right. So everybody, we want to zoom back out. We're going to go back to the, the major part. We talked about the launch point. We dove into that, but now we're going to go to the sweet spot. So here's what's happening in the sweet spot. So in your mind, you want to picture the steep, sleek part of the curve. And in the sweet spot, what's happening is your brain is running that predictive model and your predictions are now becoming increasingly accurate. And as they're increasingly accurate, you're getting lots of dopamine, lots of upside surprises. And so you're like, this is amazing. I love being here. You feel exhilarated. You feel this thing of it's hard, but not too hard. It's easy, but not too easy. And this is the place, unlike at the launch point where growth was happening, it, it, it but it, it felt slow because of all those experiences you were having. And the sweet spot growth is fast and it feels fast. So that's the second part of the curve. And that's why at the launch point, it's hard to get started. And the sweet spot, once you get started, it's hard to stop. And then in mastery, this is the third part of the curve, your predictive model, you've figured it out. You know exactly what you're doing, but you're no longer getting dopamine. You're bored. You need a challenge. Growth now has become slow. So you've got slow at the launch point, fast in the sweet spot, slow in mastery, that is how you grow. It traces the emotional arc of growth. And when you understand what it looks like, then, then you, you, you know where you are, you know what's next. Thank you for that. Uh, so you have um, basically um, the two stages per section, right? Correct. So for the beginning, there's the explorer and the collector. Uh, so for the sweet spot, it's the accelerator and the metamorph. And then mm -hmm. for the mastery, it's anchor and mountaineer, right? Is this curve, is it the same for every skill or is it the same for every um, um, specific like role or, or per responsibility area? You know, so where can this yeah. S curve apply? So no, no theory or framework is foolproof, but what I have found is as a starting point to think about growth and development, it works really well. Of course, there are going to be things that you're gonna you're gonna tweak it. So, for example, if you're if you're studying to be a neurosurgeon, you might be at the launch point longer than if you're figuring out how to work at McDonald's. Mm. But as a starting point of like, there's the launch point, there's the sweet spot, and there's mastery. Yes, there might be different durations depending on what you're doing, but you will find once you have this map in your head as I said at the outset, it can apply to your life. It can apply to a day. It can apply to a project. And so use that as your starting point and then tweak it depending on the circumstances or conditions, whether you're, like I said, trying to become a rocket scientist versus working um, in, in retail or fast food. Okay. It seems to be that um, the best performance is found in the mm -hmm. sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. But the sweet spot, it doesn't often... I guess like last that long, is that correct or not? Like, is that like an incorrect statement? Cause it seems like that some people could be basically like in the sweet spot, you know, for their entire life, but then they might start to get a bit bored. Right. So they can't actually stay in the sweet spot. Can they? Sorry. Uh, you, I think you I answered my own question, but you, yeah, I'm just wanting to have the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of are, but let's, let's, let's tear it apart together. Please, so, let's tear it apart. Yeah. So what I would say, Alex, is that 
the sweet spot is this place of optimized tension because um, you're it's it's definitely hard but it's no longer too hard. So at the launch point, you kind of had too much stress, but in the sweet spot, there's this place of optimized stress. Um, you know enough, but not too much, et cetera. Now you do want to stay in the sweet spot for as long as possible. And it is possible to stay in the sweet spot for, for a very long time. And I'll give you an example. Gary Ridge, who is the CEO of WD40, who's a fellow Australian, he, um, he's been the CEO for 20 years, and he's been able to take that company from a market cap of $250 million to $3 billion, significantly outperforming the S&P 500. So you say, well, wow, he's been the CEO for 20 years. Like, is that possible? Because I thought he would get into mastery. Well, what you can do is once you start to say, okay, in my role, if I feel like I'm starting to move into mastery, but I want to stay in this role, for example, you're the founder or the CEO of a business, like you're not going to go to a new curve if you continue to love it. What can you do? What projects can you take on? What launch point experiences can you put together so that as a portfolio of curves, mm. you stay in the sweet spot? So you might be getting into mastery. Like, let's say you've been podcasting for five years and you're like, you know what? I, I feel like I kind of got this and maybe I'm feeling a little bit bored. Let's do it video now, or let's start, you know, adding, you know, live streaming it or whatever. So you continue to do things that put you at the launch point, continue to stretch you so that in aggregate, you have this balanced portfolio of curves that allows you in your career or in your role to stay in the sweet spot for an extended period of time. Um, to answer your question, if you're having an experience of I'm feeling bored, I'm feeling like I'm dialing it in. I'm feeling like, hey, that's not how we do it here. That's a signal you're in mastery. And that starts to be a danger point because your plateau can become a precipice. So the question you have to ask yourself there is, do I jump to something entirely new or do I actually want to be on this curve? And what do I need to do so that it's a summit, not the summit and push yourself back into the sweet spot? Yeah, it seems like, um, so like if we talk about the career of somebody, right, <laughs> you know, they find a job and hopefully that's the kind of industry that they want to be in. But sometimes it's something that we fall into. They spend a couple of years, they get past the first part and now they're in the sweet spot and now they're there for a while. Right. And that's the place where they start to maybe get some promotions and so on, where they start to perform like above the standard across the company, I'd say. Um, and that's where stuff can start to get exciting. Right. Yeah. But they, but then they stay there, for too long and they're doing the same specific job per day, every single day. And it gets to a point where they just understand it completely and they've gotten to mastery, but they haven't actually questioned their, um, their position on like the S curve or to see like, if there's a bigger S curve that they should be on. Right. And so they may yeah. be just uh, stuck in the same specific like role. So like, and so that's the challenge, right? Is like, cool. Yeah. So I've done my job. Like I've basically just gotten, a promotion, like a raise and all that. And I've just been, I've been doing it, you know, just for quite mm -hmm. a long time. Now for the company, that's where that staff member is going to be producing the best kind of ROI yeah. because that's where they're excited and that's where they're performing. But then there's the tension between the ROI for the company and the fact that that, um, the, the team member is going to get bored and that's going to be potentially the great resignation or whatever that starts happening. Hey, I'm just doing the same job every single day. I can't see anything that's going to shift in the future. And that's maybe the danger zone, right? Like, is that? That's absolutely, that's absolutely right, Alex. So, so what, what happens is that you now, um, if you look at as a manager, you can very easily say and observe exactly what you just said is you look at a, an a employee and you say, wow, they're doing a fantastic job. They are considered a high performer. Um, they're killing it. And then you look at it and you, you talk to them about what experience are they having? So we have an assessment tool that people can take. And what you want to know is where do they think they are? So it doesn't matter if I, as a manager, think, think I have an employee in the sweet spot. If they think they're in mastery and they're starting to get bored and they are having the experience of feeling like they're dialing it in, what's going to predict their behavior where I think they are? Or where they think they are. 
we know the answer. Mm. That's going to predict their behavior. And so one of the things that we have found is, and let me just give you an example that I think will be useful in this is having a conversation with a company called Chatbooks here in the United States. And they, um, they, they turn Instagram books into photo books. And one of the things that they did is they had us come in, they administered the, the insight tool because they had a number of senior executives who they thought, you know, they've been here for six or seven years. We've got a great culture, but I'm concerned, you know, it's been a long time. And, and when, in fact, when we administered the assessment, three out of the four were showing up or presenting in mastery, but then what, here's what happened because they now had this language of this S curve, which is so simple and therefore useful, they could have a conversation. And there were three very different outcomes. The first conversation went like this. Chief marketing officer says, oh, that's what's happening. It's not that I don't like working for chat books. It's not that I don't like working for you, the CEO. It's that I'm not getting dopamine. And if you look at this S curve, it's basically a dopamine management exercise. Mm. She's like, I need to do something new. There wasn't a role for her. There wasn't something new for her there. She'd been doing it for seven years. So she jumped to a new curve at another company, but because they now had this language, it was amicable. Mm. It wasn't this sense of betrayal. It was just, oh yeah, let's look at the, the data. Here's what the data, dopamine data, go somewhere else. So that was the first outcome. The second outcome was you had a person who was the president and he was presenting in mastery, but he'd only been in the role for about a year. So what was happening? Well, he had a conversation with the CEO who had said, I'm going to go jump to this new curve. And when I jump to this curve, you're going to be here president in this curve all by yourself. But the CEO hadn't quite jumped to the new curve. So he was still doing some of the president's job. So the president's like looking up and he's saying, well, you told me the mountain was 10,000 feet, but it's actually only 5,000 feet. So it led to a conversation to rescope the roles and responsibilities so that in fact, the president had that headroom that he thought he was going to have when he became the president. So a different conversation about carving out and scoping things properly. Third conversation was CTO taking on a bunch of new responsibilities, this idea of the portfolio that we mentioned a minute ago. He's now doing a bunch of launch point stuff he's a CTO. He's supposed to know everything. And he's feeling kind of dumb some of the time, but this gave him permission to say, Hey team portfolio of S curves. I'm doing some new stuff. I'm going to be kind of awkward, uncomfortable, and you might be doing some new stuff too. And then it makes it comfortable. It gave him permission to be at the launch point so that he could then present in the sweet spot. So, so that's part of what can happen when you have people in mastery and the kinds of conversations that can take place. And the dopamine part, again, um, because this is um, a super point, the dopamine part is in the middle section, in the sweet spot, right? Because that's, that's where right. like, because in the beginning, it's really, really hard and it's like really hard sometimes, right? And then at the top, it's boring a little bit, right? And so what's interesting is that, and I think anyone um, that employs staff will basically know that the riskiest parts are the people that have just started, <laughs> And the people that have been there for a while, right? And That's like right. the part in the, right. the part in between is fine because they're being completely engaged. It's hard for them, but not too hard. Like, and they're getting good feedback, like, and they are learning, right? So this is a really good framework for even having those types of conversations. In the scenario um, where um, you're finding a person who's part of your team is starting to be a bit like bored, right? You know, mm -hmm. so what's a way to engage with them about the S curve? Cause it's a fantastic yeah. tool, but how mm -hmm. do you even have the conversations about this? Right. Because obviously there's a part where, you know, it's a kind of like a reflection on their existing role, but then there's a part mm -hmm. where we're talking about the things that are next. And this yep. is kind of, I think, uh, so you call it the explorer, right? So now, right. They're masters, but then I also have to start exploring some other areas. So, oh yeah, what's a way yeah. to do that? Where yeah. I don't know, there's a higher chance of success that they're going to choose the next thing. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. So first of all, any manager who has that conversation with someone on their team is going to be deemed the best boss ever, right? Because they're basically saying to them, 
I believe in you. I want you to continue to grow. I'd like you to grow with me. I'd like you to grow at our organization, but I just want you to continue to grow. And so I think that's the starting point. Um, the second thing that I would say is that one of the things you can do is you can draw this out and say to them something like, um, well, actually, let me let me tell you a quick story. There was a Kara Golden who um, owns a company called Hint Water. And here in the United States, it's very popular. And she had a person on her team. And she went to him and she said, hey, you're doing a fantastic job. Have you thought about what your next role is going to be? He's like, what do you mean my next role? Do you think I'm not doing a good job? She's like, no, I think you're doing a great job. But I know, and she didn't use this language, but I know that you're going to get to the top of your curve and you're going to start to get bored. And so we need, you need to have a plan for what you're going to do next. And so I think it's there, there's that, that conversation of, Here's what's going on in your brain. Once you get to the top of the curve, you've got to have a plan for what you're going to do, either to continue to stay in this role and to thrive or to do something else. And if you're going to do something else, you need to be thinking strategically about backfilling who's going to take on that role behind you. Now, what I thought you were going to ask, oh, and by the way, this is just a reminder. This is why for anybody who has ever said to themselves, I'm really good at this, but I can no longer keep doing it. That is why it's the dopamine. Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot my point about the dopamine. Yeah. <laughs> that part's super important right. too. Yeah. Right. That's what's going on. So mm. now more often though, um, what's going on is that people get to the top and they're like, this is pretty comfortable. Like their identity's intact, it's status quo. They're a little bit bored, but doing something new is kind of scary and they don't want to do something new. So you now as a manager have this person who you're saying, oh, they're starting to underperform. I mean, they were doing a fantastic job, but they're kind of dialing in and I, I'm not sure what to do now because I'm starting to feel resentful. And if they underperform for too long, then our relationship's going to fray and I might have to fire them and you don't want to do that. So again, you can use the S curve to have that conversation to say, here's what's going on in your brain, dopamine. And by the way, because you're not spending a lot of cognitive capacity to map new memories, that means you've got a lot of latent innovative potential because you've got capacity to learn and to grow and to stretch. And so I need you to figure out what you're going to do to challenge yourself because if you'll challenge yourself, that means you're going to help challenge the team, which means you're going to help challenge the organization. So what do you want that to look like? And so that's where I would start that conversation. In the pandemic times, if the world is falling apart and then the, the role is not pr providing any type of satisfaction or happiness because they're complete masters, right? Um, then obviously they're going to be like, well, the whole world is just not a happy place. So the thing I can change is I can change my role. Right. And so I think that's a really good kind of reflection, but I think then they're now at the mastery stage. So maybe now they're starting to lose some of the dopamine. And so now yeah. they have to start something else. And so that dopamine is going to take a while to start to hit again. Right. Like, is there a way to kind of, to re, I guess, to reignite the dopamine faster, faster? Yeah. you know there, what I mean? There is. There is there. Okay. So there's a couple of thoughts. So, um, so in mastery, there are two phases. Um, there's the, there's the anchor phase and then there's the mountaineer phase. And so when you're in the anchor phase, that's basically I'm at the top of the mountain. I did it. And so if you can take a moment and celebrate what you did and what you accomplished, um, emotions create habits. And so that celebration, this is something that BJ Fogg, who's a behavioral scientist talks about that is going to give you a little bit of dopamine as, as that willingness to just stop and say, look at what I did and honoring and anchoring that behavior. Um, now as mountaineer, you're going to have this thrill of I'm about to climb. So that's exciting, right? I'm going to do something new. We all think about new school year, new job, that's exciting is anticipating that even though it might be a little bit scary, but once we get there, we can do that. The challenge is, is that once you've made that decision and you're actually starting that new thing and your dopamine is dropping, what do you do there? And what I recommend there is this. Now that we know that launch point dopamine drops, sweet spot, it's spiking mastery, it's flat. What can you do 
at the launch point to get your dopamine to spike. And here's the hack. You set small, ridiculously small goals. So yeah, it's maybe going to take me six months or a year to get off the launch point overall, but there are things that I can do every day that will allow me to get that little spike. And I'm going to give you a very simple example, which is I decided that I wanted to start running and I didn't say I'm going to run 30 minutes a day or even 15 minutes a day because I wasn't doing any of that. And the odds that I was going to keep doing it, given what I had allocated my time, that wasn't going to happen. So I said, I'm going to run five minutes a day and 30 seconds running, 30 seconds walking. And I'm going to increase it by 10 seconds a day. And this was building on James Clear's work when we had him on the podcast. But what that did then, Alex, is that I'm at the launch point thinking I want to get to run a 5K. I couldn't run a 5K then. But by doing those super small goals, I was going to meet it every day. And chances are I was going to beat it if I wanted to. So now all of a sudden, in this short time frame, I'm getting all this dopamine. And the dopamine's building. And the dopamine's giving me momentum to move into the sweet spot. I like that. Um, it's like those small little steps every day that can push you towards something or they can yeah. Yeah, just take you closer. I'll come back with an example I have just for myself. Because, oh, I want to um, hear one. Yes. <laughs> hey, like it's not solved yet. This is a part of like the S-curve challenge, right? So, uh-huh. um, but we'll come back to that. Um, so I read that the ideal place in terms of the team allocation is to have 60% of the team in the sweet spot. Mm-hmm that it shouldn't be 100%, it should be 60%. So mm-hmm. could you talk about that? Because I thought that was a really interesting point. Yeah, um, and I think absolutely. it's something that kind of can help just to put this um, together yeah. for people. Yeah, sure. So um, one of the things that, uh, as, as we've been talking about this, up until now, we've been talking about using the S-curve to demystify personal growth. We've been talking about using it as a talent development tool as a retention tool, because if you're thinking about where people are growing, they're likely to less likely to, to resign. But you can also use it to build a team and to optimize your team for growth. And so what we recommend you do as a starting point is to think of a standard bell curve distribution and say, okay, I want to think about having 60% of my people in the sweet spot of their growth. Why? Because They're asking questions of why do we do it like this, but they're also competent enough that they can answer questions like, well, here's what we've tried before. Why don't we try this? And so they can really wrestle a challenge and do it competently, but do it in an engaged way. So you want 60% of your people there as a, again, as a starting point. Now, I also recommend that you have 20%, um, no more than 20% at the launch point. Why? Well, On the one hand, they are very capable of asking questions like, why do we do it like this? Whether it's a brand new college graduate or a new CEO, they're they're looking with fresh eyes. They're not blinded by familiarity. And they require training. They require encouragement. um, They require, um, it's it's a heavy lift to um, help. There's a lot of support that's required in order for someone to build momentum off the launch point of the curve. So if you've got 60 or 70% of your people there, that's a challenge. And by the way, that's what happened in the world back in March of 2020. All of us were at the launch point of a, how do we deal with the pandemic curve? So it was tough for all of us, um, even whether we were directly or indirectly affected by it. So then in mastery, you don't want more than 20% because on the one hand, you have people who can very much anchor everybody else and say, here's why we, you know, here's why we do it like this. And they have the institutional memory, but because they're getting a little bit potentially bored, they're not um, having, they're answering questions, but not necessarily asking questions. And so you, and also from a, a, a team organization configuration standpoint, if you've got 80% of your people in mastery, and this is what's happened over the past couple of years with all the baby boomers retiring, you got a pipeline problem. Mm. So it's also, so you're optimizing for growth with this 20, 60, 20 in terms of asking and answering questions about innovation, but you can also use it to think of it from a pipeline perspective of, we need to have 
enough people at the launch point so that over time they can move into the sweet spot and we don't all of a sudden have a whole cohort of people depart because they're all in mastery. So for companies that have extremely fantastic um, retention rates, there's a danger of having a lot of people in the mastery level, right? And that's when that's they've right. been in the role for too long and the role's not changed and and potentially the company's not growing that fast. And so the, the roles are kind of becoming static, right? And that's so right. what you kind of need is to be proactive like in this process and so that the company can stay competitive because if everyone in the company now starts to perform at 70%, you're never going to win in the competitive landscape that it is in 2022 to and beyond, right? And so it's a really interesting concept to really be proactive in helping the team to continue to grow. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And, and again, you know, you can take the assessment tool, but you can also just draw it out and be like, okay, where is everybody? And these are conversations that we have with people on our team of saying to them, in fact, a, a contractor that we're working with, and you can do this with contractors as well, because presumably you bring in a contractor because they are in mastery, but have a conversation with them and say, hey, I hired you because you're in mastery and you can do this thing for me. But what is it that you want to do? What are some launch point things that you want to try? Because if you know that, then there's this, this contract that you're having with them of, uh, you're going to help me grow and I'm going to help you grow. And if I can help you grow, then you're going to get the best work from people because they're going to feel like, you know, again, there's growth upside and growth upside is a very strong predictor. As we talked about earlier, the great aspiration, that is a very strong predictor of how long someone stays in an organization. Yeah. And it seems to be that it's a skill uh, for like a leader to be able to ask the right questions and to be able to be proactive in the kind of questions that they ask. Right. And I think that anyone who asks those kind of questions basically is a leader, right? So they could have just started at the company, but that kind of thinking, that kind of openness to thinking, cool, so what is the opportunity and how can we fit the team and, you know, um, the people and so on to be um, a part of that, right? And to kind of start to engage on these conversations, right? Because what's interesting, like, yep. it's, um, especially I think across the board is for leaders, um, there's no kind of like set way of doing anything, right? Like it's just completely creative work, right? And the questions which you ask, how you ask those questions, how those questions then lead to, to, to the direction of the company and how mm-hmm. that can be fluid. So it's this really interesting concept, right? Um, we'll jump. Can I, yeah, can please. I add one thing, Alex? Yes, I, I think to this idea of asking the questions, what I think one of the things that's really important when we're doing that is that when we're asking, um, you said this idea of open, we need to genuinely in that moment care about their development. Because if you're asking what they want, they will smell, because business is so inherently transactional, they will smell from 10 miles away that you're trying to figure out how to move around the chess pieces. And so they need to... they. You need to, when you're asking those questions, know that your intention mm. is to help them grow, believing that if you help them grow, they will help your company grow. Um, so I just wanted to- Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. Say that. So on that point then, ask what are some other things to watch out for as a part of this process or to be careful with, right? So that it doesn't mm-hmm. fail or um, it doesn't start the wrong kind of conversation or- I'm not sure. I'm just asking like, if there are any other things yeah, to watch out it's for. A, it's a great question. So I think the other thing to watch out for is not for the employee, but for, for you. So, um, so for you personally, one of the things that can sometimes happen when you, uh, you will know that you're at the top of the curve is if you find yourself saying, that's not how we do it here. Or we already tried that. And, or you find yourself feeling resentful of other people who are coming up along the curve. Those are all signals to you that you are stagnating in some form or fashion, because when we're, when we're growing, we feel the sense of abundance. We don't, we we feel like there is enough for us, but if you're starting to worry about other people and what are they doing and what's going on, then that's a signal to you that you you're, it may be the top of the curve. It may be the wrong curve. Um, It's just something to be aware of. 
Um, and then also I think the other risk is just, um, sometimes when you jump to a new curve, because it's scary to be in that new place. And I alluded to this earlier, we tend to want to hang on to our old curve, but by hanging on to our old curve, we all not only are not growing, we are limiting the people who work for us from growing as well. So just be aware that if you're spending a lot of your time doing things that are really easy for you, it probably means you're not delegating and you're not only stunting your growth, but you're stunting the growth of people that work for you. So those are a couple of other watchouts. That's awesome. And that's a great segue into um, the last part of this conversation, which is actually how do you manage like yourself in this process? Right. And I have an example yeah. about myself, but I think the best thing, but, 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 but I think the most common challenging area that I consider is when uh, a producer who's fantastic at their work, they get promoted into becoming the manager. Right. And I yeah. think this is, this is a, a very common kind of S curve shift, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I am a complete master in terms of the work. Now I have to become like a leader. It's a whole nother level of skills. It's like yeah. nothing at all. It's not even about right. the work anymore. It's all about the people, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some um, suggestions or recommendations for what people can do just when they are kind of having that transition? Because I think yeah. that from what I can see is one of the hardest transitions for most people to make? Yeah. It's such a great question. I I think the first thing I would say, Alex, is just make sure that this is what you want. Um, You know, I think there's a tendency to think I want to be a manager because I perceive that being a manager will raise my status. When in fact, that is not what you want to be doing. Some people are, are good at managing. They enjoy managing their, their, expert at managing. And some people are not, and they don't want to do it and they're not good at it. And so I think that would be the first thing I would say is really ask yourself the question, is this what I want? Or do I want to be an individual contributor? So that's number one. So that goes back to the idea of exploration at the launch point. Is this a curve that I want to be on? The second thing that I would say is assuming that you've made that decision that you want to be on that curve and, and the ecosystem is, is, is going to work, you know, work for you to be here is to recognize that from an identity perspective, this is a huge challenge because you have gone from being the person who is delivering the good, the person who is getting the props for delivering the good and your identity and our, our society is so based on that. So it is so rooted in that you are now, I mean, so I, I sometimes call it the PE ratio, the puke to excitement ratio of jumping <laughs> to that new curve. Mm. Your identity is undergoing this massive, massive shift. And you're saying, who am I if I'm not generating revenue? And so that would be the next thing I would say is just be really gentle and patient with yourself of saying, okay, I understand what's going on. This is really hard. This is really hard for me. And so I need to give myself some grace around this and also talk about it out loud about what's, what's happening. And then, um, and then the third thing I would say is that you switch your metrics. So your metrics are no longer how much revenue did I generate, but how much revenue did my people generate and what did I make possible for them to do? And the other metric I think is really important is that ability and, and, and a learned skill of talking about and advocating for your teams. Cause it's not like you can, you can't just go from, Hey, we delivered this revenue and to not anything. You still have to talk about and advocate of here's what our team is doing. Here's what we pulled together. Here's what it looks like. Here's what we're building. Here are our metrics, but it's we, 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 we. Okay. I sound like little pigs in all, <laughs> all the way home. Um, um, but that's awesome. And so then, okay. So for people that are at the mastery stage that think that yeah. potentially that the next stage is some kind of the leadership role of some sort, right? Um, yeah. Should they now start to listen to some podcasts about it or start to read some books about it and see like, like if the content itself is actually interesting, like, mm-hmm. like is that a hint to uh, this is something well, that that's the right path, right? Because sometimes yeah. it's like, hey, look, I want to be this. And then mm-hmm. I transition. It's like, actually, 
I just like doing the work and I'd rather just yeah. do the work, not actually the people stuff, right? Because the people stuff's not for everyone. And I understand that. Yeah. But is there a way to test it, to well, trial it in a way? Yeah. In some organizations, there are opportunities where you can do some type of secondment um, briefly. But I, I do think that you can you can start trialing it without trialing it is just observe how you spend your time, right? If you look at your your day right now, and even when you're not yet a manager and all of your day is focused on tasks um, and you get, that's where you get your dopamine. That's where you get your enjoyment. That may be a signal that this may not be as fun for you. Whereas if you, for example, if you played sports, right, that's another signal for you. If you, when you were growing up, you played team sports versus solo sports, that may be an indication that you're more interested or, or not in, mm. in building a team and in leading a team. Um, and then also look at like, do you get satisfaction when you're able to have that conversation and help people move forward? Um, not the inspirational conversation, but the blocking and tackling conversation mm-hmm. and, and the logistics of how are we going to do this? And how are we going to put this person here? And what's that going to look like? Those are all starting point indicators for you that maybe you'll actually really enjoy the process of management as opposed to, and I've met many leaders who are like, I love inspiring people, but I don't like managing people. And so that's another question for you to ask yourself. And these are really good questions just for the managers of the new managers to also kind of have as well. Right. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. Okay. Let's jump to the example, which I wanted to talk about, right. Um, which is, about myself, right? And this is about uh, stacking S curves, right? So, and this is, well, I figured this could be a good way for the listeners to kind of understand some of the challenges and to talk just through the process, right? So I've been basically in the marketing game for 20 years. I've um, started a business um, back in 2003 and four and five and so on. And so I have this level of kind of mastery, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also, there's all these kind of, innovations out there that could kind of like disrupt like all the skills I have, right? Like, and the big one at the moment, like is artificial intelligence, right? So I've been trying to get into learning about AI, but it's, but I'm so at the beginning mm-hmm. and it's such a big shift from the mastery I have across all these other things. And all these other things actually produce proper results in the world that have value. And now I have to go back to AI but I can see the future of it and I want to um, prepare myself and have some skills on it. And yeah. it's just really, really hard. Right. And because every time I start, it gets kind of overwritten, you know, by something that is either a lot more urgent, um, maybe not as important, but it seems important uh, basically yeah. now. Right. So, and so I know this is going to be the future, but trying to carve out time. Right. And so mm-hmm. I find it really hard at the, um, What's the first at the explorer stage? Because I'm exploring. Yeah. I found a few courses. I like your point about cool. So I'll just do after five minutes a day, right? Mm-hmm. And I will just start a course. Is that the best way to approach it? Is something in this that I'm not kind of you know understanding? Is there something that yeah, I, I think that I just don't want to do it because I haven't started doing it? Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I, I love this example because I think this is this is this is how disruption happens, right? You're you're getting paid, you know, you know that it's there, but your your value chain is not set up to make time for it. Um, so I think first of all, your your suggestion or idea of okay, right now it's really hard for me to start this, but I know I need to do it. So I'm just gonna commit to do it for five minutes a day. Cause you know that the momentum will start to take over eventually. And so I think that that's one thing that makes a lot of sense to do. The other thing that I, I'm wondering as I hear you talk about that, and for you in particular is, is there a project that you can take on or a piece that you can commit to write that will require you to get up that S-curve faster? Like, how do you create some type of deadline or deliverable that will force you to incorporate that? or promise it to a client that you're going to do it. 
Um, the other thing too, that I'm thinking about, and I think this happens, I, I, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about cryptocurrency. And I remember this happened 20 years ago with wireless is when something's new, we feel like we need to understand how it works. Like I need to understand how wireless works. I need to understand how crypto works. I need to understand how AI works, but you don't necessarily need to know how it works. You just need to know how to use it. And so that's the other thing that I would be thinking about is, do you actually need to know how it works or do you just need to know how to use it and how to apply it in your work? Yeah. And I guess the reason I'm happy about this example is this could be something that, you know, that is a common challenge for people that have, you know, had yeah. a career for longer than 10 years, right? It's that's right. Like, it's like, like the identity and the value is super high, right? And so because I, in terms of the marketing space, I understand basically the full scope of all of it, it feels like I need to understand the full scope of AI, which is like the coding and the databases and all that. But what you're saying is that, hey, you can just stack a smaller S-curve on the applications of AI. You can find people who understand that part. They've spent like their whole lives on that. And are you right. going to compete with that as effectively as like, yeah, like someone else that has been doing it for 10 years already? And then there's like a smaller S-curve that could be the way in. And if... Because it's about the way in, right? Because because yeah. because that's what starts the momentum, right? The hardest part is starting because it's full, like it's hard thought, it's all new, it hurts. Yeah. It's gonna be it in the hurts. morning when like, you know, it it hurts the brain sometimes. And so, okay, that it's helpful just to have this story because I think this is a story that that quite a lot of people at the mastery stage are gonna have. Hey, listen, cool, right. I'm here. That's right. I could learn it there, but there could be something else which I should be should be and doing. It, and it play and the thing is, Alex, is it plays out over and over and over again in our lives. And one of the things that happens is the older that we get, the more adept we become at never doing anything new. Mm. You can when you're young, you cannot insulate yourself from new curves. You're they're 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 de rigueur. But as adults, you can get so that you never do anything new. And so part of this is also just flexing that muscle. But one thought that I just had that I think could be really cool and is like, what if you've got a t-shirt on that says web profits, but like, what if you got a t-shirt that said web or AI profits and just like play with that, just, you know, from a priming of the brain standpoint and yeah. finding, but again, that five minutes of the day that will start to get your, your head where it wants to go, but you don't need to understand all of it. You know, and you think about from a business perspective, like I don't, I don't hire, I don't have to understand all of marketing. I don't need to understand all of IT. I hire an expert to do it, but I need to know how to plug it into what I'm doing. Mm. Awesome. We're out of time. What a great conversation. This has been an hour. That's gone like that. I, I, look, there you go. I mean, I seriously have so many more questions, but this has been such a good overview for, um, the people listening to the podcast. Um, how do people start to follow you? I know yeah. that you have a podcast. Um, mm -hmm. The book's available on Amazon, Smart Growth. Um, it's highly recommended for, uh, for any leader um, across their organization just to be competitive and to be proactive about their team. And who wants to hire someone, spend all that time, and then lose them because of a few conversations and a few, you know, um, supportive kind of like directions, right? So that's highly recommended. Smart growth on Amazon, but you've got a podcast as well. And is there yep, anywhere else that people can subscribe? Yeah. So it's called, I love that subscribe. So it's called <laughs> disrupt yourself. And, um, yeah, I have, I, I run that podcast and I like to talk to people who are trying to figure out how to disrupt their own lives, disrupt industries. I do a variety of guests on there. So that would be lovely if you came in listened and subscribed. And then, like you said, we have the book out called smart growth. So, um, yeah, super fun and exciting. Fantastic. Whitney, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about smart growth. It's such a good concept. Um, and I'm sure that everyone is going to get uh, quite a lot of value out of this conversation. So thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. Thanks for listening to the growth manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast. And if you need help driving growth for your company, please get in touch with us at webprofits.io.